Well, it is true. It is true that uh, you have heard the sermon in the children's message this morning, and so uh, that's one cause to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Another cause is that we believed that uh, God's Word is God's Word, not man's Word. It's written by God, designed by God. It's uh, holy. It is supernatural. It's transforming. No words that I can say can transform you apart from the Holy Spirit at work. So if we simply read the Scriptures, as John has done, and we're in attendance, then we've heard, once again, God's Word. We've heard the sermon, so that's twice. And yet, I like to get paid, so I like to keep my job. And so I'm going to give you the hour-long sermon that I've been working on hard all week. No, I think we can, we can if you've been faithful to attend, it'll be less than an hour. It'll only be 55 minutes. Uh, but with that said, I want to uh, tackle this morning's uh, focus, which is Jonah's prayer in the belly of a great fish. Now, as I've been talking to Wendy uh, in my studies this week about this, I would frequently say, the whale, the whale, the whale. And she's like, we don't know that it was a whale. We don't know that it was a whale. We don't know that it was a whale. So I'm liable in uh, the time that I have to use uh, the the whale as a synonym for the great fish. We don't know exactly what it was. And um, art is uh, very interesting as you look at historic art or artist renditions of Jonah and the whale, which, num- which incidentally, side road, uh, the, there are four popular, there are four top biblical scenes in all of art. And the Garden of Eden is one. Jonah and the great fish is another. And I'll leave you to think about, and I'll tell you at the door if you would like to know what the other two are. But Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the great fish, is another one. And many artists depict it not simply as a whale, but as a great fish, as something other. And we've got that. Uh, Albert Ryder in the 1800s grew up in New Bedford, which is the whaling community of really the known world at that time. That's where um, uh, Moby Dick was written out of New Bedford and and so forth. But Albert Ryder captured, uh, as a Christian, he captured Jonah and the great fish. Do we have that slide? Okay. It, well... That's what I thought. We might have to come back to this in a dark room. I don't think you can see it because... All right, Justin's going to get this. All right, let me give you my art lesson. And if Megan Proctor and other artists are here this morning, please forgive me. Um, All right, I want you to see this. The reason that this is so hard to see is that Albert Ryder, who painted this over a century ago, put so many layers of paint that it is still not dry. The the paste, the paint that he used, layer on top of layer on top of layer. And at at this time, um, Albert Ryder was experimenting with layers of both paint and varnish. That's why you you can't see it here, but the, the original one has lots of cracks through it. It's just, and a lot of his work has deteriorated. But 
Albert Ryder, what he is doing is he's capturing the chaos. In the middle is this is the ship. And notice how it's bent. It's demasted. It doesn't have a tiller. Here, I don't have a pointer. Here is Jonah kind of, ah, he's in the water. Up above, if you look closely, is God. Notice how God glows. You can't see it, but there's also a calm on God's face. He's, he's contrasted to Jonah, who's panicked. But God is not panicked. He holds the world in one hand as he is in control of that world. And with another hand, it's raised to direct a great fish that has eyes that similarly have the similar gold tones that you see through the chaos of the waves, but the control of God. He looks a little frightening right here, but he is focused on Jonah to consume him and capture him. One last thing. I told you that Albert Ryder, when he did this, he did it in layers. Well, the first layers that he put down were white and yellow and gold. That was the foundation. And then he put down darker and darker and darker and darker tones and varnish. But what he made stand out was the gold of God in sequence with the gold of Jonah, in sequence with the gold eyes of the fish, in sequence with the gold sailors' faces, in sequence with the gold of the waves. You can turn the light back on now, Justin. Thank you. Why? He wanted to show that God was in complete control over all of His creation. That He was in control of, John's, of Jonah's life. When the sailors threw Jonah overboard, that wasn't simply the sailors throwing him overboard. They were instruments in the hand of God. When the fish consumed Jonah, that was an instrument in the hand of God. And I want you to see and imagine with me, and I'm taking a little bit of a preacher's license this morning, but I've, voc- I've, I've broken the, the, the sermon up this morning into three segments over three days. I believe that Jonah prayed in the belly of that fish not one day, but all three days that he was there. And so I want you to see day one. Day one, when Jonah in his prayer addresses his distress. Day two, when he addresses the fact that he feels so driven away from the presence of God. He's feeling that he's on the run. And then day three, like coming out of a tomb. Like experiencing being born again. Like, like experiencing a resurrection in my life, he experiences being delivered, though he's still in the belly of the fish. Now, I want you to recognize that as he appears to be, uh, in day one, he appears to be very distressed. He's also has an underlying confidence like Albert Ryder, he has an underlying confidence that allows him to see God in the waves and in the fish's belly. He doesn't say in his distress, I'm all alone. I'm completely abandoned. I'm completely forsaken. 
But no, he expresses in his prayer that in directing it to God, that he knows that God hears him and will always hear him when he calls. Look at the scripture. Verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You heard my voice. So he's saying, I'm, I'm getting accustomed to my new environment, but I'm aware that you hear me. Can we talk about that environment? I've got a, I know, again, it's a side road, but I want to be sensitive to you, the listeners. Some of you this morning have already dismissed me by saying, you know what, I, it doesn't matter to me if you say great fish or whale. I, I don't believe that a man has been, could be, will ever be swallowed by a fish. Watch this, all right? Get my setup team. Can we do that? Can we do that film clip? Okay. I want you to see, this is, this is the most recent account that I could dig up on YouTube, which, of course, is very reliable, you know, uh, on YouTube of divers who were almost swallowed by fish. Okay, you see the divers? Watch to the right of your screen. I think I would be getting back to the boat as well. Okay, thanks. The... uh, fact remains that, as you see here, that these men potentially, potentially could have been swallowed by, and I don't know what type of whale that is, but they could have actually been taken in to the whale's system. And it's important to note that the Scripture says that this is a great fish that was appointed by God. And so I am asking... I am not going to prove to you if you doubt, if you have doubts about a man actually going into and coming out alive of three days in the belly of a fish. You know, Jonah just doesn't give us all those details. Jonah's not a story. It's only 48 verses. It's not a story of how to survive in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. It's a story of God's relentless pursuit of his sons and his daughters. His relentless, when we 
rebel, when we go our own way of His grace to say, I have put my love and I will be faithful to maintain my promises and my covenant to you, I'm going to pursue you. It's the pursuit of God that incorporates creation. God is the creator. The creation is the creation. If you doubt... If you doubt that a whale or a fish could be appointed by God, that God could speak and this fish would take direction from God, you've got a bigger issue. You have put creation in opposition to the Creator. You believe that creation alone will be dictated by creation, but will not, does not either have a Creator or an original maker and point of origin, or that it has to take direction from them. In other words, all of creation, like we, rebel against the Creator. Well, creation conforms, apart from man, more uh, often to the Creator than we do. It is a very natural step of faith to say that if God is my Maker, if He is the Maker and Designer of all creation as the Creator, then He certainly can rule and reign over all creation, even as He has captured my wild heart and spoken to me to give me direction that I would come to heed. So, I'm not trying to... There's only one verse here. But I just want to to, to challenge you that if you... If you have dismissed Jonah as a fairy tale or myth, then you're going to also, like the children, you're going to have to deal with Jesus three days in in the grave. Perhaps you see that also as mythical. But Jesus himself points back to Jonah and says, that's the sign that I'm who I am, that my identity is the Son of God. Just like he was there three days and three nights, then I will be there three days. What did Jonah do in his distress? Well, we're not left to wonder. We see here that in his distress that I prayed, I cried, I was heard. And that's just a a few of the synonyms here. I mean, a few of the illustrations. Over and over again, he talks about calling out, crying out, pleading, speaking, addressing God. And we always find the very positive result of God answering. What's the proper way and the proper place to pray? I read this, this this week. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, say, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped and upturned eyes. Oh, no, no, said Elder Slow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and his head contritely bowed. Oh, it seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown. With both my heels a-kicking up, my head a-punting down. And I made a prayer right then and there. Best prayer I ever said. 
the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a standing on me head. This morning, I don't know how and what posture you're accustomed to praying in, but Jonah prayed in what I have what I have come to see as the most unusual position, posture, and location ever recorded in the Bible. I believe that the men prayed in the fiery furnace. I believe that Daniel prayed in a lion's den. But here, fast bound in the confines of a smelly, deep water fish, Jonah prayed. Jonah didn't just weep. Jonah Jonah didn't say, I think I've got a pocket knife that maybe I can cut myself out of this place. He He didn't look to himself and he didn't despair alone. He directed his distress to God. I need to leave this, but do you pray? When do you pray best? confession time, I pray best and most passionately when I'm in distress. That's why sometimes it's it's such a privilege for me to find you in distress and to pray with you or to encourage you to pray or to join you in your prayers. It's a privilege. You know why? Because God hasn't abandoned you. God has arrested you He has put the arms of his fish. He has put you in a dark place in order that once again you can commune with him and he can commune with you. God has put Jonah in the belly of a fish so that they could talk again. So that the relationship could be restored and strengthened. And Jonah knew that. Look in verse 3. Look at the pronoun there that he uses. He says, you cast me into the deep. It's your waves. It's your billows. And, he says, they're passing over me. You have arrested my attention. You have put me in a dark place. Not that I would simply distress, but in my distress, I will turn again to you. God bless those trials in your life. May I learn, may I learn and learn That God meets my ingratitude. He meets my selfish, self-centered, self-oriented ways that run from Him. He meets my idolatry, my putting other things before Him to give me life or comfort or pleasure. He meets all of those things with trial and distress. And I talk again to Him. I look again to Him in my distress. May God grant to me the maturity and the refining of my faith that I can look at trial driving me to the place that like the creature appointed by God was designed to be. Speaking with God, listening to God, taking direction from God. But not only that, in verse 4 we read that Jonah says that I was driven. I was driven away. Um, Psalm 18 verses 4 through 6 says this. The cords of death encompassed me. 
The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. And my cry to Him reached His ears. Um, You go on and you read in verse 5, the waters closed in over me. Um, I love to swim. I love to hike. I love to be in canyons and caves to a degree. I struggle with claustrophobia. Um, and uh, it, it's not a big struggle. One of the big, one of the reasons I struggle is because I can't control my environment. So it's really arrogant and prideful. But I struggle to a degree with claustrophobia. Even as I read this language, I get chills. The water's closed in. The deep surrounded. Weeds are wrapped at the roots of the mountain. Verse 6, I went down. Bars closed. Pit. What's happening here? This is not Pinocchio. Now, some of you are not going to know what I mean by that, but Pinocchio ran away from his father, Geppetto, his creator. Pinocchio runs and runs and runs. He gets into loads of trouble. Eventually, his father goes searching for him. And then for a while, his father gets consumed by a whale known as Monstro. Now, it's a little, it's not going to have any application to Jonah other than this. We tend to think about Jonah in the belly of the whale kind of like Geppetto in Monstro's belly. We tend to think like Pinocchio that he's here and he's got a table and he's got a candle and the waters are just kind of sloshing and oh, there's, some, there's a crate with some food in it and wine. And, you know, it's, it's a little uncomfortable here, but I've got plenty of space. No. Everything about this language describes a coffin. It describes Sheol. Being in a grave. It describes being in closed confines and still, still uh, a place where you have to be still, where nothing's moving, nothing's changing, nothing's happening in my life. I feel like I'm in a straitjacket. Or as people that have struggled with feelings of depression, I feel like I've got tunnel vision. I just feel like. I just, all I see is this, this problem. And everything, everything on the perimeter is just, is just black. It gets blacker out there. It's all I can do to get out of bed. It's all I can do to leave the house. It's all I can do to, 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 to have fellowship or, or get in communion with people. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm trapped. All of those are this feeling like you're slowly, slowly, slowly going to a dark place, that you're being driven away, as it were, from the larger place of fellowship with God. It is no strange thing that Jonah, remember we learned at the beginning that Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a theologian. Jonah knew God's Word. Jonah knew the Psalms. Here in Psalm 18, we see the very similar language of David the psalmist when he was in the depths, 
when he found himself in a distressing place, we can transfer this to Jesus himself. That there was a point where Jesus would feel the confines of life, the trials of life, the distress of life, the approaching, stalking horse of death, or feeling like you're in a pit. But Jonah here, even as he feels that he's driven away, he remembers the temple. Now, before I leave this point, can I give you just a little bit of temple theology? Here it says in verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And then you go over to verse 7, and he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, remember, Jonah is confined in a belly. He's not able to move, and he's got seaweed. He probably can't even take off of his face. He's very confined, and he's stilled, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and his mind and his heart go to the temple. The temple is two things. The temple is also known as the footstool of God. It's known as God's home. It's known as God's dwelling place with man. It's where on earth man, sinful man, through a sacrifice of atonement, a blood sacrifice of a lamb or the the blood of bulls, he could make contact with a holy, celestial, heavenly God who had come to dwell with his people. If you were in trouble, you ran to the temple. If you were at a great distance, you could turn your face and pray to the temple. And those people that call in my name to the temple, I will hear. What Jonah is saying is, even though I'm in the belly, in a pit, in the grave, even though I feel like I'm dying, though my circumstances are not changing, I am comforted by the fact that you are in your temple And that I can call out to you. And because you have condescended to dwell with men, you will hear me. In other words, I'm not troubling God. I'm not a bother. I know that God wants fellowship with me. I know that God has chosen to leave the heavens to traffic with men. I know that God is with me in this pit. I'm not leaving God on board the ship back in Joppa at the, sh- at the shore. I'm not leaving God in Jerusalem. I'm not even leaving God when I leave church. Wherever I am right now, God is with me. Remember, he's in rebellion and he's running from God. But he's saying, you know what? I know that even in my sin and my waywardness, you're still with me. Secondly, you know what the temple is? It's community. I'd already made mention at the beginning of the service, and we read it yesterday as we broke our fast in Psalm 42, that there is a throng, there is a community, there is a congregation. And he's saying, I long to be with those people because they get it. They get a loving God towards sinners. They will get me. They will hear my story, and they won't go, oh my gosh, your sin is so big. They'll go, wow, God pursued. I've seen the same thing in my life. 
And he says, I want to be in that community, a safe place and a place where I hear their testimony of God's relentless pursuit of them in their sin, pursuing them in their dark place, giving them new life over and over again. And I can share my testimony as well. I wrote a note to myself, an illustration note. And it's just two words at this point. Shannon Forrest. Shannon Forrest is a PCA church. At that time, it was a Reformed Presbyterian church in Greenville, South Carolina. And I had, uh, during college, I had just become a Christian. And I mean, you, you know how shy and withdrawn I am. I mean, you guys know how introverted I am. Uh, so you can imagine me as a non-Christian. Uh, imagine me as a non-Christian being born again, becoming a Christian. I mean, I was, I mean, I was becoming the campus evangelist. People were coming up to me, man, you ought to be a preacher. And uh, man, you were, you were leading people to hell. I think you're leading people to heaven. You ought to be a preacher. And so it began to get in my mind, maybe, maybe God's called me out of darkness to be a leader in the light. And I began to think about that. And I took a uh, summer break with a couple of mates, uh, friends, and we went out west to climb and to hike. And on the way back, our group split up, and I found myself alone in a strange town. And I thought, what am I going to do? Well, I got thirsty. And I got thirsty, not just thirsty for a beer, but thirsty like I used to get thirsty that I'm I'm not going to be able to walk out of this place. And I'm going to create some excitement. I I sat down at the bar, and it was a blur after that. I mean, I was dating somebody at the time, but I remember walking out with a strange girl or woman that I met at the bar. And it got so bad that the next morning I woke up in a strange place. Not the, not the campground that I was staying at making my way back to Charleston. And I felt at that moment there was a voice. And I couldn't discern voices at that time very well, but that voice said, you are toast. You are over. You are such a hypocrite. You are such a liar. It didn't take. You're not a Christian. It didn't take. And you can't get a do-over. Not, like, not after this. You've sinned against your girlfriend. You've sinned against your God. Your testimony is just totally shot. You hypocrite. You phony. You fake. You sinner. You suck. And so, as I made my drive back, I stopped to see my parents in Greenville. And they had started to go to a church. And they said, come with us to church. You're a Christian now. You know, I was instrumental in talking to my parents and seeing them come to recommit their life to faith in Christ. So there was no getting out of it. I said, I'm going to go this last time, but as soon as I get back to Charleston, I can't go. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm done. And the minister that morning spoke on Psalm 51. And he focused on the verses that said, Restore unto me a clean spirit. No, restore unto me a clean heart. 
and renew in me a right spirit and cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. And then it goes on to say, and one day I will share my testimony in the throng, in the glad gathering at the temple. I thought he was going to call me out. I, I thought he said, hey, you, right there, uh, the, the center, this is... I mean, I, it was so... That sermon was so me. But I took that as God's Word, which it was out of Psalm 51. I took that as God's Word. And as I left that place with God's Word in my ears, here's what I heard. I was driven away because I was running away. God didn't send me away because of my sin. I was driven away because I was driving myself as fast as I could go. But God in His relentless pursuit now comes to me through His Word that I had just heard and I acknowledged to be true and said, I will renew. I will restore. I will give you a clean heart. I will renew the very spirit and passion that you had for me that has become a lost love for you. And I will not keep my Holy Spirit from you. I will not cast you away. And then I will use that testimony with others. You see Jonah praying? You see Jonah recalling God's Word and the value of having an intake of regularly, you know, God's Word, God's Word, God's Word. He was able to recall it when he couldn't open up a Bible at Geppetto's floating table and candlelight in the belly of the whale, he could recall it. And those words were precious to him as he recalled God in the temple and the people in the temple. And he said, one day I'm going to be back there. And then we see lastly this morning that day three, he begins to talk about being delivered. And it starts in verse 6 where he says, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And some people at this point say, well, Jonah, obviously he didn't have a pen, you know, like a quill and ink. He didn't have Jabetho's table, so he wasn't writing this in the belly of the whale. No, but he was writing, and so he wrote it afterwards. So he's saying, hey, I was brought out. That's part of my testimony. No, this is... Day three. And he's saying, you've given me life even in the pit. See, Jonah's circumstances did not change at this point of his praying. The third day, he still is still three days and three full nights. His circumstances didn't change, but he did. He did. The num- one of the, the number one lie, the number one lie of Satan, And you need to stop believing this. And I say you because I believe it. I fall for this lie all the time. Satan, like a good pinch man, comes to my suffering and my trial, and he pitches this lie of futility. And he says, there's no design by God. There's no purpose in your suffering. Look how chaotic your life has become. Look at this depression. Look at this addiction. Look at these broken relationships. Look at this, you know, this... Look at this sin in your life that you cannot break. There's no, and you're, you're now reaping the repercussions, the consequences. It's just all futile. There's no design. There's no purpose for trial in your life. That's a lie. 
That's an absolute lie. God, in his wisdom, says Spurgeon, is never wrong. And God, in his love, is never cruel. God, in his wisdom, is never wrong. There's never a trial in your life that you can say, God, you were wrong by sending that into my life or allowing that. And there's never a trial because of God's kindness, He's not cruel, that you can look at and say, you're just plain mean. You're just a, a God of thunder and judgment, and you're just thumping me. That's mean. No. He is not going to put any more trial. He's not trying to snuff us out. He's trying to change us. And yes, it's going to feel like you're dying. It's going to feel like you're in the pit. It's going to feel like you're in Sheol. But in that is your deliverance because He's killing you. He's killing you, the old you, in order to resurrect the new you. And that is why Jonah is saying, even in the pit I'm experiencing deliverance. Man, even in this, the confines of this fish belly, I'm experiencing a newness of life and lift. And it begins in verse 7 as he says, I was fainting away, almost like last words, last breath, maybe the oxygen in the fish bellies all consumed. It was the end, but he doesn't curse God. He says, I remembered. Which over and over and over again in the Scriptures, God calls through the prophets people to remember. And the focus that He wants them to remember are in addition to His sovereign designs and His purposes are his, is His love and His faithfulness. And God's love and faithfulness is captured in one word. It's called hesed. And it's throughout the Scriptures that God is relentless in His pursuit of us to love us, to love us, to love us, to love us. Even when we're unlovable, He pursues us. Jonah, in verse 8, says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he says, We create false things. Idols that we look to to love us. Let us love them and they will love us in return, but they fail us. It's a false hope. We hope for it. I want it. I want it. I want this thing to comfort me. I want this thing to, to, to make me feel significant or secure or all right, that it's going to be all right. And I cling to it, and God says, No, that's an anchor. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. I'm going to throw you overboard and let you see that that's an anchor. It ain't going to hold you in the chaos of my billows and my waves. But I'm not going to drown you. I'm not going to kill you, though you've forsaken me. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to send a trial of a fish. And we're going to be alone for a period of time. Just me and you. And I'm going to call you love. I'm going to call you child. I'm going to call you precious. And Jonah says, you know, that's exactly what I want to hear with all my soul. That's a good thing. And as he gets settled in, the fish, literally, the word there, vomits Jonah ashore. We'll take up next week 
the destination of Nineveh ahead of him. But I want to I want to encourage you to think about something as we prepare our hearts to approach this table. What must Jonah have looked like and appeared to those citizens of Nineveh that first saw him? There are some that say because of the gastric juices juices of a fish that his skin would have been bleached out. Um, You know what happens to your hair after you've been at the beach for a long time, in and out of the water without a shower in between? Imagine three days of that and and in fish brine, salt water, never dry, probably all wrinkly. Can you imagine the greeting of the first citizens of Nineveh to Jonah? Hey, buddy, you look like somebody that's just come back from the dead. I did. I'm resurrected. I was so dead, so dead, that old Jonah. Let me tell you my story. And I believe people would hear that testimony. They would hear that story of good news. New life. And see it all captured with an old washed out Jonah who now is marching to Nineveh to share God that he has come to experience fresh and new. You can have that experience as you come to this table this morning. But you don't simply look to the bread and and are reminded of a bleached out skinned Jonah. You're reminded of the skin of the second Jonah. You're reminded of the brokenness and the flesh that would be falsely tried, cruelly treated, and then locked away for three days. Death meeting death. Death of one innocent conquering death that we, the guilty, face. See the testimony of the very flesh and blood of your Savior, a second Jonah, such that we don't face the grave. We don't face separation and abandonment. But more like the first Jonah, we can face dark times, trial, even the grave itself, knowing that we're not abandoned, that He hears our prayers, is testified in His Word, and that we will be delivered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, make these words count. Make make this message and Your Holy Word count to recapture us as a people. We are prone to wonder. Comfort makes us comfortable. Use any trial that's presently in our life to redirect our hearts to you and experience once again your love, your faithfulness, and your steadfastness toward us. Lord, I feel pretty dirty at times, and I feel like you're the last place I could go. Father, may we condemn that as a lie and see that you welcome us back. You are pursuing us to wash us, to renew us, 
to restore us, to make us whole again. Lord, would you use this table, would you use this bread and this cup, the trial of another who did not deserve it, to remind us of the power of a resurrected life. We are dedicated to follow Jesus because he's become our Savior. Help us to live the resurrected life, a new life, out of the fish's belly, out of the grave, and to share our hopes, our joys, and our first love, even with those in community with us. We ask all these, strengthened by this table, as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.